where do we get money wrong? Where do we get it wrong? I mean, you you gave us some hints before, but I'll just ask the question again. Like, so that's how simple it is. Where do we get it wrong? The simple answer is you you get it wrong because your parents got it wrong and they gave it to you. They got it wrong because their parents got it wrong and they gave it to them, right? everyone. Welcome to the Dia Bondi Show, a big, huge podcast for your goals. I'm Dia Bondi, longtime leadership communications coach and catalyst. And I am on a mission to both help leaders speak powerfully when the stakes are high, but I'm also on a mission to put more money and decision-making power in the hands of women so we can change everything for all of us. And this podcast is a part of that mission. This place is the place where you can learn to ask for more and get it, resource your dreams so you can reach your goals super fast, right now. So today we're going to have a little bit of money talk. We're going to talk money, shame, and the right to build wealth with Hillary Hendershot. But first, say hey to baby A. Hey, Dia. How's it going? I like the new intro. Oh, was it new? I don't know. I'm kind of just rolling in it today a little bit. Yeah, there was a lot of new stuff in there. It was good. Bold. Oh, good. Well, that's, you know, that's what I'm known for. That's what people think of when they think of Dia Bondi. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, or loud. That too. That. They're interchangeable often. Yeah. Well, fortunately for you, listener, I don't have to be so loud. You have access to your volume button. That's right. And you also have access to me, the producer, who mixes your volume down a lot. It's so true. You're so good at it. You bring everything in line, don't you? Like on fix. What is the phrase? Fix it in post. You can just fix fix it it in post. Fix it in post. That's that's what we do. What's happening for you today? Oh, um, you know... I don't know, recording this episode and then I don't know what. That's not bad. You'll have one thing to do today. That's sort of amazing. I have 1,700 meetings and this one just got slated right in the middle, but it's kind of my most fun one today. It's not a meeting. I get it. It's a podcast recording, but it is the the one I've been looking forward to all week. I mean, for one, I love seeing and hearing you here, but also like the conversation with Hillary Hendershot is going to be, it's going to be good. That's what I expect yeah. anyway. And if it's not, guess what you'll do? I'll cut it down. Fix it in post. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, what else? Yeah, what's going on with you today? Well, um, wow, I don't know. I Well, I do know we have a lot of goals in the business right now. We're going to be launching um, some stuff. Let's see, is it September? It's the first week of September right now. We're going to be launching some stuff in the next couple of weeks. Um, yeah. Although by the time Although this episode, it'll be long out yes. by the time this this comes out in like December. Or exactly, it'll come out in December. But so things will have been launched. So um, you can always go to diabondi.com to see whatever has been launched because it will be likely right there. Um, but yeah, today I'm just doing a lot of creative lifts. I have um, I have uh, some writing to do. I have some actions to take. I have some exercises to do. Oof! I got in the garage and did a workout today that just about turn me inside out. So yeah, I'm like, I'm, it's one of those sort of productive days where you're just handling the business. Nice. I had a couple of those the last two days, but today all I have is this. That's nice for you. That's nice. Yeah. So what do we have today? Well, before we get to um, Hillary, we have a voicemail from a listener that I wanted to play. Cool. Cool. Hey, Dia. I listened to your episode, Negotiating, and What About Backlash? today and I actually sobbed a few times remembering all the times I've been actually punished for advocating for myself and thinking about what a massive impact that has had on my psyche and on the trajectory of my life anyway I just wanted to tell you I love your podcast thank you caller for um, dropping that in our in our voicemail box and you know well, yes, this podcast is aspirational. Yes, the work that we're doing around helping women ask for more and get it and resource their dreams, you know, with Project Ask Like an Auctioneer, which hopefully will be a book soon. Um, you know, it is all really aspirational. And, you know, what she's pointing to is exactly why we had, we did that episode, which is this, you know, this stuff doesn't come without consequences. And you all listening today, maybe our callers comment and share is resonant for you. Um, you know, sometimes 
we get caught in this place where the very thing we need to do for ourselves is the very thing that we get punished for. And getting out of that logjam is really is really hard. And so while the show and this work is aspirational, it does not overlook the fact that 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 is super real. You know that, and we will continue to have folks on the show to talk about strategies to deal with backlash. You know how we can think about going around those obstacles as often as possible, and continue to, you know, charge forward in a way that makes sense for each of us, uh, without getting stopped, without feeling like we have to choose to not pursue what matters to us. So, um. Yes, when we advocate for what we want, you know, we might push ourselves out of our current context, meaning you might be asking for something right now in your career or in your business um, or from your collaborators that give you even, even if you don't get the backlash, you may be getting the no's or you may be getting, um, you may be getting responses that tell you that you're not going to get what you want or need in that context. And that the choice you have in front of you is to let yourself in this moment get pushed out of that context into the next context where you can make traction on the thing that matters to you and your goal. Because, you know, um, sometimes not getting what I what we want, you know, when I think about ask for more and get it, it might be that you ask for more in that moment and you don't get it in that moment, but that moment is telling you it's time to move to a new context where you can get it. So, you know, all of this stuff has impact. And there is, you know, even in our conversation with Lindsay Gordon around, um, you know, career alignment, we talked a little bit about sort of the loss and sadness with coming, you know, coming to the, to the recognition that what we're doing right now doesn't fit us anymore that who we're collaborating with right now doesn't fit us anymore, that who we're working for right now doesn't fit us anymore. Maybe the goals and dreams we had for ourselves five years ago don't fit us anymore. And that moving on is a way to move beyond something where you're getting the backlash that isn't, um, that isn't making your dream, isn't helping you resource your dream. So um, caller, thank you for taking time to share your little story with us and, uh, help other women and folks understand that um, and see and feel that uh, they may not be alone. So if you're listening to the show right now and you have um, a story about how you might be advocating for yourself, questions you have about how to do it, uh, asks that you are making in your life and career right now that can change everything you can call us on the show and ask the question or share your story. Help other women um, and underrepresented folks who might be listening to this show feel less alone in their pursuit to resource their dreams. And um, we would not just Baby A and I be grateful to hear from you, but um, all of the folks who listen to the show um, get value from your story. And you can do that by uh, calling the number that Baby A is going to share with us right now. That number is 341-333-2997. And in addition to calling us, you can also rate and review and subscribe on whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And you can share us with your friends and that will help the podcast grow and reach more people. So today, as you mentioned before, we have a great guest, Hillary Hendershot. She is super great. And so Hillary Hendershot is somebody I met... I don't actually know how we met uh, virtually, I think, through a con – maybe I just listened to her podcast, um, which I'll mention in just a second. Um, but she was the – we have – I was saying earlier before we started recording that we have so many – the first people who fill in the blank around Project Ask Like an Auctioneer. And she was the first podcast – you know, we had um, we had Kat Gordon, who was the first person I pitched to bring uh, sort of a micro version of the keynote to an audience to see if it, you know, fit an event venue. Uh, we had um, – we had Myra Benjamin on the show, who was the first uh, internal leader at, at an organization that I um, that I explored what uh, Project Ask Like an Actioneer might do to fit into that context to help women inside of organizations ask for more and get it. And Hillary Hendershot was the first person I ever reached out to to bring the ideas inside of Project Ask Like an Actioneer onto a podcast. And uh, I, I think I sent her a note and literally she got back to me in like 
two and a half minutes. Um, and so I'm so happy to now have her on our show. So Hillary Hendershot is the founder of Hendershot Wealth Management. It's a leading financial advisory and wealth coaching firm for women, which is so cool. Um, her mission is to motivate women and their loved ones to be financially empowered and to thrive. And her wealth coaching programs have enabled participants to finally take control of their money. Lots of us know what that feels like, or we want to know what that feels like. In those programs, folks will learn healthy financial habits and grow their individual wealth by millions of dollars collectively. So Hillary is, I mentioned to you about the podcast, she is the host of Profit Boss Radio, a weekly financial podcast where she and her guests offer women financial uh, and financial inspiration and actionable advice. She's a TEDx speaker and has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, NBC, ABC, Fox, Daily Worth, Forbes, Investopedia, etc. And um, she was recognized as a top 40 under 40 entrepreneur in Silicon Valley in 2018, 2019, and 2020. In Investopedia named her one of the top 100 most influential advisors in the in the U.S. So Hillary has an MBA from Santa Clara University and is a certified financial planner. And we're so happy to have her on the show today. Hillary, hello. Hi. I'm so glad to see you. I was just telling, uh, before you logged into the call, I was telling uh, Arthur and everyone listening that you were the first, uh, Profit Boss Radio was the first podcast I pitched to talk about Ask Like an Auctioneer. I had gone around oh, the world. Right? Yeah, I was like, hmm, so let me do this thing in corporate and and did it at corporate to see if there was appetite there. Like, is this relevant there? And I did it in a, at a conference. And I was like, I wonder if podcasters would be interested in talking about this. And so you were the first person I reached out to. And I think literally you got back to me in two and a half minutes with just the term, with just the phrase, let's do it. <laughs> you know, I Googled you to listen to you actually talk like an auctioneer. I do remember I have like a visual memory of that. <laughs> so funny. So, so funny. So um, I'm so happy to have you here today. And, you know, I'm calling this episode um, Money, Shame, and the Right to Build Wealth because this stuff is complicated. That's deep. Yeah. It's in some ways really simple, I think. And in other cases, it's it's complex, right? And I know that you are, in your practice, I understand you are really a big champion of and talk a lot about mindset and neuroplasticity around how we think about, you know, money and wealth and all the stuff attached to it. Am I wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Given how you, given the title you selected for the interview, I have a really important question. Is this a curse on your show or not curse on the show? You can curse all you fucking want. <laughs> Let's so do what, it. <laughs> what 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 had you ask that question about? What had the title prompt that question? Mm, well, money has a very logistical, practical. This is how you handle it side, and then money has a very deep cultural, gender based, emotional morass. That lots of times when I speak publicly, I don't actually curse on my own podcast. I don't know. I heard that it makes it hard to get listed on iTunes. I don't know. I should research that because I use. I use fuck often in my life, but, um, but I say when I speak publicly, people are, people, I say, we made money up and then we forgot that we made it up and people went crazy about it. And when I say people went crazy, I mean, they're batshit fucking crazy about it. (laughs) And so that's what, that was your, that was your episode title. Like, let's talk about how bat shit we are. It's so good. So I am, so we're having you on the show because this is a podcast. This is a big podcast for women with goals. And one of the goals of the, of the podcast and tied to project us ask like an auctioneer or the mission is to put more money and decision-making power in the hands of women so we can change everything for all of us. So, um, you know, having you on the show is a great, is a, is a, a really important part of talking about what it means to put more money in our hands and then what we do with it to build wealth, right? So um, maybe you can share with us really quickly sort of what your money story is and what your wealth story is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I got started in the field of financial planning in the year 1999. So I have a degree in economics. I used to tutor the math portion of the SAT. I tell you that I have an MBA at this point. Um, I, and I tell you this stuff because I do have a head for numbers. And a few years into my career, I had to be really honest with myself because I found myself 
advising multi-millionaire investors during the day what they should do with their stock market portfolios and coming home at night to a stack of bills that I wouldn't open because I could not pay them. I was a massive overspender. I was far more interested in convincing you that I was already wealthy than doing the things that it would take to be wealthy. So I had the emblems of wealth confused with the reality of wealth and I was playing a very financially destructive game and it came to a head. There was a moment I pulled my least BMW into the gas station to get a tank of gas and I tried all three of my credit cards. At that point, they were all maxed out and my bank account was empty. Okay. So I had to literally had to walk home from the gas station. I've had people pull me aside after speaking gigs and say, did that moment really happen? Or did you just like make that up for the storytelling power of it? And I said, no, it really freaking happened. <laughs> and, um, you know, I make a long story short, I lost a condo, tanked my FICO, gave back the BMW. I spent every penny in my retirement accounts chasing good money after bad. And I said to myself on that walk home from the gas station, what the hell have you done, Hillary? How is it that your intentions were so, so good and your outcomes or your results are so bad? And I said, you know, I don't care what I have to do. I was in my early 30s or, I, I, you know, 29, 31, something like that. And I said, I can see clearly what the rest of my life will be filled with if I continue to behave this way. It's obvious, financial emergencies, embarrassment, not being able to pay the bill, getting kicked out of my condo, right? Like, these are not things I want to have constitute my life. So I said, I'm going to figure this out. I don't care. I don't care what I have to do. I don't care what I have to reverse. Or I don't care how embarrassed I am. I'm going to figure it out. Uh, so I became a student of neuropsychology. I looked around me and I said, if I, like, I got lots of smart friends, some of them are getting wealthy. So what's the difference between me and them? It's not intentions. It's not intelligence. It's gotta be psychology because what's behind your behavior. It's your psychology. So neuropsychology is very, it's it sort of overlaps with this field of money, money psychology or money financial, financial mindset study, right? And I started attending talks and reading every book I could get my hand on. And I figured out where the hole in my financial bucket was. And it was this coding that I got when I was a kid. My mom was a decent earner. She was a great saver, which means we were on a strict budget and her, she's like, does without. It was like, we did without a lot of stuff and it didn't work for me. And I made up that there's never enough money. And then everything I did in my life was to prove that there's never enough money. So I got out of college during the height of the dot-com boom. I was making six figures as a recruiter in Silicon Valley, one of those dot-bomb, future dot-bomb companies. And um, so I'd make $100,000 and I would spend 120, right? Because money burned a hole in my pocket because I had to keep proving that there's never enough money. And so these super dysfunctional behaviors persisted until I figured out the solution to all that, by the way, there's never enough money is one of what I call, it's a script, a money script. I call it uh, a money operating system. I trademarked that term. Dia, you shared with me your money operating system and you wrote it, typed it to me a few days ago. You could share it if you want to. Uh, but there's like, a, there's like a, 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 a density of money operating systems that are very common, very popular. Uh, there's never enough money. You have to work hard for money. Money is the root of all evil or like there's something wrong with rich people, right? Um, if I'm good or if I'm virtuous, the universe will like just provide or sometimes it's daddy will provide, right? Um, so you've heard oh, money doesn't money doesn't grow on trees. These kinds of statements are superstitions about money. Uh, and so I started teaching about what I had learned as I was climbing my way out. Now, fast forward many years, I'm in my mid 40s. I have a seven or eight figure net worth. I run a million dollar a year business. Um, so I've, re I've unwound the, the messes I've made in the past. And, um, and, I, and I'm now teaching about what I've learned because there, there was this moment the universe said to me, Hillary, what you figured out, people need to know. So that's what I'm doing. So you started the conversation by saying this, your show is about making, putting women in the decision-making seat and putting more money in their bank accounts. And that is, that's my life. I've given my career to that. Awesome. <laughs> Super awesome. I, it's so great. So like I, I wrote, you know, in preparation for this conversation, I wrote out a bunch of questions. And of course, you know, I did write down what my money story is. I was hoping that you could, we could do some live coaching on the call. And of course, I want to jump right to that. But I want to back up first. I'm going to like cool my jets just a little bit. And um, 
and just ask, you know, and this seems like a really simple and direct question, but like, what is money? Yeah. So uh, money actually is a conversation. A lot of people will say money is energy. Uh, money is something that human beings made up. So I'm not, it's, you could say it's a conversation. You could say it's energy. It's the same thing, but literally it's a conversation as human beings. Conversation is what separates us from the animal kingdom, right? So we made it up. It's, it's a solution to a barter problem. So in the past, if I wanted your cows, I had to have chickens that you wanted, right? If you didn't want my chickens, I couldn't trade for your cows. I couldn't get my cows. Like all was lost. So we made up money so that I could give you a coin, a thing that represented something you could trade in the future for something you wanted. And because you trust that system, you take my coin for your cows. End of story. That's all money is. So where do we get money wrong? Where do we get it wrong? I mean, you, you gave us some hints before, but I'll just ask the question again. Like, so that's how simple it is. Where do we get it wrong? The simple answer is you, you get it wrong because your parents got it wrong and they gave it to you. They got it wrong because their parents got it wrong and they gave it to them. Right. Uh, I don't know. I mean, human beings put meaning on lots of things, right? So we forgot that we made money up. We forgot that it's a blank slate. And then we saw people do, it is true that people do diabolical things with money. Like that happens. And there are diabolical people who don't have money, right? So it's not the fault of money that, that those people did that thing. We forget to assign responsibility where it actually lies. And we've infused money with a whole bunch of meanings and superstitions that it doesn't actually have. I, I, I want to jump in here and say I love this. So one of the things that I teach in Ask Like an Auctioneer is to actually separate your worth from your money. We hear right now so much in our culture, get paid what you're worth. Get, and this might be controversial, listeners. I don't know. I might be making you mad right now. Get paid what you're worth. You know, know your worth. And I have found in my 20 years of communications coaching that when, you know, helping, you know, women leaders in a lot of cases looking for resources for their projects for lots of things, not just asking for a raise or just raising their consulting rates or like not just dollar and cents tied to like direct pay, but that it's very easy when we think about asking for what we're worth or we tie what we get to our inherent worth that we automatically want to make our asks smaller because if I don't get what I ask for, it means I might not be worth it. So I all day long actually want to un, like raise the stakes of, of um, making asking for money, the thing you need to resource your dream, raise the stakes enough that you stand up for it, but lower the stakes enough to understand that what you ask for and what you get does not mean, is not necessarily a direct relationship to what you're worth. Now we're, you know, do, do you see what I'm saying here? It's like, Oh yeah. I, I want mean, you, everyone to ask for more, but I want them to, because if we tie our worthiness up too much in this transactional thing, you're just describing to us, we end up sabotaging our courage. So first of all, I, I see the asking game. I just said it more like a game at this point, but I do know what you're talking about. And my response to that is use the conversation, charge what you're worth if that empowers you. But the truth is, A, you don't have a worth and B, you're not selling yourself, okay? You're selling like a thing that you promised to do for a couple hours, right? And so I had a chemistry teacher, I, I, I laugh about this, but I had a chemistry teacher, this was 25 years ago or whatever in community college um, a, a chemistry class. And she said, if you were to break your human body down into vials and like the actual chemical makeup of your body, you're worth about $7 in the chemistry store. <laughs> so like with inflation, that's probably like $15. You're probably worth like $15, sorry. Like that's it. The rest, that's so the good. rest at the chemistry store. Where is the Arthur? Where is our local chemistry store? Have you been to the chemistry store this no, week? Only the chemistry teachers. <laughs> so good. I think it's wholesale. Uh, yeah, exactly. you can get it on Amazon. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. So I I love this, and yeah, I I love this distinction that only use you know ask for what you're worth, get paid what you're worth when it's courage making and useful to you. But when it starts to tie things up too tightly, that it makes it harder to ask for more because if you don't get it, we read too much, we put place meaning on that so hard. Um, you know, then then if it becomes less useful, then what is the other perspective we can take? I teach that in ask like an auction. We'll do another episode on it. Now, when 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 we talk about 
um, you know, you made a shift in your story. Like, you know, you're, when I hear your, your story, your path to uh, your relationship with money and your path to wealth, you made a decision, which I think is core to, to your, to your money blueprint framework. Yeah. Which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, the, well, that just came out of nowhere. I've like, I've been, li- I've been listening, Hillary, I've been listening like to you. like you read some stuff. I, well, I don't know how that happened. I just came from nowhere, but it did come from somewhere. Actually, I, I have been in your sphere. So, um, the, when we start to get money, right. What's that like? Oh, um, well, um, in the beginning, unless for some reason you, you start making a half million dollars a year, it, there's no way around that. It feels like tightening your belt. When you reverse, when you pull, make a sea change in your financial life, you go from bringing in the same amount and spending more to bringing in that same amount and spending less so that you can save some or use it to pay off debt. And so it hurts. It's like going on a diet. As much as you want to call it a food plan, it's a diet, right? Uh, and those small daily actions compound on one another because you learn to be someone who asks for more, who gets raises or raises your prices. You learn to bring more money into your life. You learn to command money with your speaking, right? And so it's a, like, it's a skill. And I think, uh, you know, there was a time in my business when I would have worked with anyone who could fog a mirror, as they say. Um, and now things are very different, right? Just because I've compounded skill on skill on skill. I, I know I, I've, I've sold valuable skill sets. I know it's valuable. My time becomes more valuable. I start to charge more. It's like this virtuous circle. I hope I answered your question. Yeah. I mean, so I hear in that, like, it feels constricting. And I'm sure you've observed in your clients that moment where they've made the decision and then they have to do that, that maybe that moment where it feels a little constricting. And then I also heard the word command. So is that freedom? Is that control? Is there, re- is there relief it's in It's pride that? and confidence. Beautiful. It's pride and confidence. Even yeah. in the restrictive yeah. stage? Uh, no, it can feel uncertain then because for the most part, you're going around doing what your body urges you to do. So your subconscious mind is urging, was urging me to spend, spend, spend. If you and I went out to drinks, you would have loved me. I'd have bought your dinner and your drinks and I would have paid for it on a credit card that was maxed out, right? That was what I wanted to do. So I had to learn how to not do that. That's not comfortable. Interesting. Yeah. And I bring this up because maybe some folks who are listening right now are on the precipice of that first decision are like right at that point where they're deciding to change something and to, to, you know, this is all very aspirational. Um, but also the reality of what it feels like is both, you know, what did you say? Pride and control. What did you say? Pride Pride and pride and confidence, but also maybe some restriction and discomfort simultaneously. So that when we start to make changes in our behaviors that set up um, a new money life and a new wealth life, that the experience of doing that isn't, you know, thrown away in this narrative. Right. And there may be people in your life who are very disappointed that you're changing your financial habits, if you know what I mean. Maybe, Maybe your money is flowing to someone or someone's and it's inappropriate given what you have and what you, what you want and what you're doing. And or to your, to your point a second ago, maybe you were the one at the table that always threw down right. and now you're not that one anymore. Right. Maybe you have to learn how to say, if we're going out to drinks tonight, you're paying because I'm not. Yeah. Your <laughs> friends have to re get to know you. Yeah. That's so good. It right. does. It does shift a lot of power in our relationships, doesn't it? Like it has this ripple effect across how we operate in our lives that are, that are noticeable. So that, that feeling of wanting to spend when you don't, can I tell a really silly story? Do it. Um, when I was, uh, when I, after my first kiddo was born, I have a 14 year old son and an 11 year old daughter. Um, I actually don't know if I've told the show, this, this story on the show before, but we had just purchased our house in, um, in, uh, the East Bay here in the Bay area. And it was the absolute maximum we could afford. And I was, I, up until having a kiddo, I was traveling all over the world on somebody else's nickel doing, you know, training and coaching and facilitating workshops. And so I got to travel the world, not paying for it. Like I was fairly financially, you know, conservative, but always had a little extra money because of it to like buy the extra, you know, buy the nicer bottle of wine or whatever it was. And, and we had just gone into this big financial commitment. And I, and because I was traveling all the time and just had a baby, I, 
I was stay-at-home momming because I was like, I don't know how I'm going to continue this career and have a, like, I didn't have a picture in my mind of how to still get to be a globetrotter and have a kiddo and me, you know, the bazoo. So I just took that like year and a half. I was just at home and we had zero extra dollars. And I craved that thing you're talking about. You know, you go spend the thing. So I used to go to Target with my son and uh, walk around the store and shop. I like this pillow. I like this coffee maker. Look at these socks. They're so soft. I think I, I know really what you're going to say. And then I'd fill up the cart and then I'd leave it in the aisle and go get in my car and drive home. <laughs> That's so awesome. What it did for me was it let me, well, for one, it was entertainment. For two, it let me have that adrenaline like, oh, this pillow is so me. This, you know, this mascara is so me. You know, I got to like do all the things that shopping does for you. And then there was a moment where I realized I don't have to buy all this stuff. And I could spend an hour and a half at Target and walk away from the cart, like walk away from whatever, $300 worth of garbage I didn't need that was fun to shop for. And there was part and part of me in my heart that felt that confidence and that control and that other to be able to walk away from it like I was walking away from a burning building. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I see that as some kind of massive hack. interim hack. step. Yeah, but it's like I bet you didn't go backwards financially after that, right? That's the beginning of like I will not go back uh, up with this. I will not put. <laughs> Absolutely. I and it got it. to be kind it got to be kind of fun because I was, you know, we said we could curse on the show, but walking away from that cart was a little bit of like a fuck the man moment. Yep. You yep. will not tell me what to buy. I don't have to buy. I don't have to. <laughs> so great. So we talked a little bit about money. Let's talk a little bit about feelings, if we can. Um, so what other perspectives, beliefs, or ideas do women have to contend with that makes it hard to sort of own a wealth goal? Because I, I think about there's a difference between a money goal and a wealth goal. I'm curious if you agree. And like, what are the things get in the way of a sort of owning wealth goals? My experience is most women don't have wealth goals. Off the cuff, having spoken to thousands, maybe 28%, something like that. Um, the feelings, you know, you could do a whole podcast on this. Uh, you, could you could sell a very, a very high-priced mastermind just to grapple with all the shit women have to deal with when it comes to money. So first of all... Uh, it's not feminine. It's not okay to want it. It's not virtuous to have it. Um, like you have to maybe choose between being attractive and sexy and being wealthy, financially well off. Um, and that's not to say, I mean, there's Jennifer Aniston, right? Everyone knows she's attractive or she's, she's wealthy. Everyone knows she's attractive and wealthy. Uh, <laughs> but, but it's like if you're dating in your mid forties or fifties or something, and you're worth a couple million dollars, it's like a problem. And people aren't talking about this, right? Because it's a problem because you have high expectations of him. It's a problem because if he finds out, he might feel insecure. Um, there's also like if, if I'm wealthy and my friend finds out, she might feel insecure. It might alter our friendship. So I have to eke it out, talk about it in little ways that test the waters to see what's going on for her about it. Um, there's... It's very interesting that you say that because even, you know, talking with my network about um, these aren't necessarily personal wealth goals, but revenue goals in my business, I often run up against, oh, well, you know, Dia, it's not all about money. This one. <laughs> I, I get, yeah, I get this one. Like somehow if I have money goals, it's all of a sudden all about money. And I'm like, excuse yeah. me, have you met me? Do you know what I've been doing for 20 years? So, so one doesn't cancel the other, you know? So my, funny. My like impact. if you walked into, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. You, if, if you walked into someone's kitchen and they were making an organic green salad and you said, wow, I'm so excited to eat that. It looks so healthy. And they looked up at you and said, well, you know, it's not all about being healthy. You would say, you would go, what are you talking about? Why are we eating salad then and not like meat lasagna? Like what is wrong with you? You, you would think there's something going on up there, right? <laughs> so it's like, so when cool. you, mm -hmm. 
when you say it's not it, it's not all about the money, it's like you're causing cognitive dissonance in your mind because I promise you when I'm paying my bills and sending my tax guy my documents, it's all about the money, right? <laughs> it's not 24/7, but there's times when it is 100% all about the money. So and and let it be so. Because it's all about the money in that moment doesn't cancel out all the other things that are going on in the ecosystem that your money enables. Okay, so in your framework, say the name of your framework. I created, yeah, I created a framework called the seven steps to wealth. Right. And in your framework, you do have an ask component. Can you talk about where that fits in the, in the steps? And can you talk about why it, why it made it, why it made the cut? Yeah. Oh, it's critical. Uh, so what I did was when I received this download from the universe, uh, Hillary, you must teach what you have learned. I said, okay, everyone says you have to make it simple. So I look back, literally, what did I do? Clearly the first thing I did was I decided, and I shared with you that moment, you know, we talked about that earlier in this conversation. So you have to decide, you have to decide to align yourself, your behaviors, your thoughts around growing your wealth. The second is uh, speak. So you have to take an inventory of what are you saying about money? We're, we're talking about this right now. Most people don't talk to money. They don't talk about money to anyone else. For the most part, we talk to ourselves, maybe our, our, our romantic partners about money, right? But what are you actually saying? Um, the third is plan. Most people never get this far. So like I said, money has a logistical, very operational side. The fourth is earn and the fifth is ask. So ask is the bridge between the life you have now and the life that you want, right? Beautiful, beautiful. I, so I say and ask like an auctioneer. Actually, since you and I spoke about it a couple of years ago when I first launched it, it's evolved because I've talked to, you know, lots and lots of folks that have given the keynote and the workshop a lot. And, you know, I have decided that it is not just about helping women ask for more and get it. It's also about using asking as a success strategy. So I love that visual of like bridging the gap between those two things you just mentioned. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I do in my, in my coaching course, I ask people to go get, to go ask for things such that they hear no 100 times. And I, you know, I, I'm sad to say, I don't think anyone's ever done it, but I promise you, if you go ask for something such that you hear no 100 times, you will not have the same life by the end of that project or that, 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 that program that you did when you started, because you will hear yes so many times that you didn't expect to. And what kinds of asks are in the seven steps to wealth? Like what kinds of asks are we talking about? Well, I invite people to start by asking their things that they don't really care about or need. So I invite you to go into a coffee shop and ask for a discount. Now, you're going to, some of you have already left. You've like shut off the podcast. You're like, I'm not going to do that. I would never ask. I don't haggle. Okay. I mean, it's not a big deal, right? The person behind the counter can say yes, or they can say no. The point is that you become someone who asks. You can ask for an upgrade at your hotel. You can ask for your neighbor to do a nanny share with you. You can ask someone to be your business partner. You can raise your prices. You can ask someone to be your client. You can ask your partner to do more of the household chores or hire a housekeeper. I mean, these are all asks. If you look around at your life, the life that you've built, the life that you already have, it's all a function of asks. You just maybe don't relate to yourself like an asker, <laughs> but you are. And sometimes asks don't sound like asks. It doesn't have to sound like, can I have a discount? Sometimes it sounds like, do you want to move in together? Sometimes it sounds like, yeah, I'd like to buy that car, right? You just don't realize that you're creating something, you're bringing something into your life that you didn't have before. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you have much to say on this topic. I, you're the resident expert on asking. I just think people, people ask more than they think they do. And there are things that you won't allow yourself to ask for. And I just invite you to build that muscle. That's beautiful. What kinds of things do you find we don't let ourselves ask for? Um, gosh, uh, I would imagine that's as individual as the human being itself. Let's look, let's look, let's look specifically at the topic of money. I coached a, a hairstylist and she said, I haven't raised my prices for four years. And every time, and not only that, but my customers, when they come in, they won't book their next appointment. So my schedule is all over the map and I have three kids and I, I hate my life and I'm not making enough money. So the script we created for, for her is, 
you know, you're going to want to get your next appointment booked because I'm currently booking four to six weeks out. And by the way, the next time you come, your price will be X. And I made her say it to me like 20 times. I made her say it in the mirror like 150 times. And this might sound elementary to many of you listening to this, right? But the, the point is it was the words that then created the schedule she wanted and the rate that she wanted. And she said, she was shocked. She said, so the first time I said it, I was scared out of my mind. And the, and the customer said, okay. And by the hundredth time, she said, I had, no one didn't schedule and no one said no to my new rate. I said, you know what that means? I said, you didn't raise it enough. <laughs> of course. I mean, that, that's one of the core tenets in Ask Like an Auctioneer. Unless you get a no, you left money on the table. Right. Um, well, so what I love about that is that I hear that ask that you're articulating as, as more of a statement, actually, than an ask. You're going to want to book your appointment now. And when you come next time in six to eight weeks, my rate, my rates will be X. So it's almost like, you know, we think of an ask always as a question. It isn't always. Sometimes it it's a tell. That way. It, yes, it's a tell. It's, yeah. it's claiming, it's claiming a thing and then seeing what the outcome is. Right. But unless you're physically forcing someone, it is fundamentally an ask. The person that, can still say no. In that way, it is almost like we are asking ourselves first and then asking the world. Like asking that of ourselves, will I give myself permission to raise my rate? Will I, will I let myself do this? Will I ask, you know, will I, is this, is this okay with me? I get sometimes in my workshops, people asking me um, the question, I want to ask for X, but what if I'm, del- what if I'm delusional? What if I'm actually wacky mate what if i'm out of what if i'm i'm separated from what's a realistic ask or not and you i are. and I, I promise you are <laughs> well the thing is is that you know the the my answer to that question is if you can explain it you can ask for it even if your explanation is as simple as i'm raising my rates in 2021 right can i have a discount on that cup of coffee it's my birthday <laughs> Just explain it. Done. It doesn't Great matter. <laughs> so the we talked a little bit about what money is, some of the feels around it. Let's talk about wealth. So what is wealth and how might it be seen as different than money? The root of the word wealth is well-being. So wealth is well-being. And practically speaking, wealth is either investment or business assets that you own that if and when you stop working will pay for your life, okay? So at some point, you'll lose the ability or willingness to work, whether it's your health or your mind, whatever, whatever that is. We now have 10, 20, 30 years of your life to pay for, and you need something that throws off income to pay for your bills. So that's the wealth that I deal with on a daily basis. And you can make it work with a little, and you could also be unhappy with a lot. But to have wealth goals is critical if you ever, ever want to achieve financial freedom, right? If you ever want to stop working um, and if you want to be financially healthy. So it's, it's the foundation of financial health. And when we start to think in terms of wealth, not just dollars and cents, but when we start to think about in terms, when we start to think in terms of wealth, what changes for us? Um, the, the focus becomes, is this activity growing my net worth or is it shrinking my net worth? And then you act accordingly. You stop worrying about the details. I promise you the lattes don't matter. I promise you, you know, unless you're making $40,000 a year, but, but it's the big decisions in your life that matter. It's the house that you buy. It's how you spend on cars. Travel is the second most expensive thing for most human beings. Um, and if you spend your life borrowing more money than you have to buy nice cars, you are hamstringing yourself forever financially, just forever. That's a fact. And I just pick cars. There's lots of other ways you could do that. Right. Um, but for me, I, I've paid cash for cars for a decade now. I, I, I just write a check, whatever that is. I'm not, I, I just don't borrow money for that kind of thing. And you, I say to people when they come into my office to talk about their retirement, at some point you stop thinking about the value of your accounts, like the, the, just the sum of them, or even your net worth or your balance statement. And you start thinking about how much income can these assets pay me, right? How much can I draw from this, the principal balance of this account 
over my retirement, which is an undetermined amount of years, right? Human longevity is a miracle of science. It's also like a financial problem. This is like a conflict, right? Um, and so we want to spend from your assets in a sustainable, regenerative way. And so that really, it doesn't matter how much is in your accounts. It matters how much you get to pay your bills with. I, I just had a flash in my mind as you were talking of like, money is like a bag of groceries on the counter and wealth is like a garden. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's funny, but like, I should have asked you. <laughs> well, I just, I think about like, you know, we think about how much money did I make this year or how much money do I have in my bank account or how much money, you know, do I, what, like, that's like a finite thing. It's like a, it's a, it's a great tool. You know, it's a, it's a bag of groceries that you have to figure out how do I allocate this so that we can eat for, but then a garden is like a thing you tend to. That's a right. garden is what gives back to you ongoing and you can make decisions. It does influence, you know, the decisions that you make to, to decide, like, is it, is it, is it actually growing the garden? Is it nurturing the garden or is it depleting it? And that's why I use that term regenerative and sustainable. That's exactly right. And that garden wouldn't be regenerative or sustainable if a herd of rhinos trampled it. Right. And there's things that you can do to your money that are akin to a herd of rhinos trampling it. But if you continue to take from it in a sustainable rate, you can expect it to keep giving. So this podcast is a, is a podcast for women with goals. Um, if you've got, if you, if folks listening right now have a money goal or a wealth goal, where do they start? I thought a lot about this question and I don't mean to sound trite, but I really think the answer is you do it just like you do anything. And there's that saying, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And this game, this wealth game, what I've discovered is that it really is more of a mental game than a, an operational or logistical game. I promise you you're smart enough. I promise you you're educated enough. I promise you you have enough time. I promise you you can empower yourself. Right? All of this is possible for you. And it really starts with, okay, how can I get there? And if you can't get to, I'm going to be worth $5 million by the time I'm 65, if you can't get there right now, I, get into wonder wonder, well, what would it take? What would it take for me to be someone who completes my working years with a net worth of $10 million? This, the state of wonder connects you to your inner being. It connects you to that your soul's whisper, your intuition, right? And so I, I don't advocate, I, like I'm not a Nike coach, just do it, right? Because it, it's impossible. If that were, po if, if just do it coaching worked, we'd all be skinny and rich. And that's just, it's just like is. Uh, and so the mind is a tricky thing, but, but, and it might take a year or two years for you to coax and cultivate your mind into a, a, a possibilities machine when it comes to money. But I promise you there's areas where you're already a possibilities machine. So how can you become more like that in this area? I love that. And so I'd love to give our listeners a prompt right there. If you're walking around your house or in your neighborhood or you're in your car right now, you know, uh, uh, hold on to a, a question for you might be something like, I wonder what it might feel like or wonder what it might be like to make 30% a year more than I do now. I wonder what it might feel like to be able to say I'm worth, you know, my net worth is $1 million. I wonder what it, this idea of wonder helps us put together a picture for ourselves and start to feel into a reality that is not yet true, but can be a possibility. Yeah. You can wonder no matter what your reality is. There's no limitation on wonder. And that's the bridge between you being, you've got, you are constructed to be the human being you are now, but neuroplasticity is real and you can engage it. You can change your brain about how much you earn, how much you save and who you are about money. I did it. I teach it. You do too, Dia. Uh, and so it really is getting into like, okay, I'm open to that. So if it, if it's far away, you know, if folks who are listening right now just tried to put, you know, fill up their, their BMW with a tank of gas and instead had to walk home, if it feels so far away, they've done the wondering, they have a picture and they've named their goal. How do we stay hooked into it to keep us engaged on the journey? Because it may feel small and bite sized in the beginning. Am I wrong? Well, I have a great deal of energy and a great deal of ambition. So I can only relate to being human being from that experience. And once I set my sight on a goal, I'm all systems go about it. So if you're there 
and you are wondering, I wonder what it might be like to make 30% more, you know, treat your world like a laboratory. It's like the, the number of people you can ask, hey, I make $125,000 right now. What can I do to make 175? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a silly question, really. It's not a common question. And I imagine your questions will evolve. Like what skill sets can I attain? Who can I ask for a raise? What other company can I work for? What other thing can I do with my time? Right? Like there's, there's never a time or a place in life where you can't open up your mouth and ask someone who is willing to help, uh, what can I do to get there? And then practice, take baby steps or make those practice asks, figure out what it's going to take to get to that next step and continue on that way because they grow exponentially. Well, I love this idea of thinking of the world as your laboratory and you're running a bunch of experiments and, and the results that you get, even if they're tiny, getting that discount, getting that, you know, free upgrade on, on a hotel room, you know, for your next business trip or, you know, uh, asking for a larger coffee for free because it's your birthday. These little experiments we run and get small rewards can be a hook to keep us engaged in the journey because pretty soon you can look backwards and go, Ooh, I came pretty far. I got a lot of things. Yeah, the little the little milestones really add up. They really do. Um, and there was a time I was terrified to be in the room alone with an investor. I was afraid that everyone knew more about stock markets than me. And I spent years just creating my own script library and learning and studying and saying it in the mirror. And now I there's no one I I have supreme confidence in that area. Right? I just took it on like an area that needed to be developed. It's the same as anything else. So you got to step five in your framework, which was ask, what are, what's six and seven? Uh, invest and protect. Yeah. Mm, protect. What is yeah. protect? Say more about protect. Uh, so it's two things. It's the very practical stuff. It's insurance. I, I don't sell insurance, but people need insurance, umbrella insurance, renter's insurance, homeowner's insurance, car insurance, life insurance. Um, and then it's also, and a state, a state you're, estate planning, get your estate planning done, your revocable living trust, your wills, things like that. But it's also this really sense of like, I say, don't do dumb shit with your money <laughs> because we've all, we've all met someone who had an, an empire and lost it all. And in every case, it's because they didn't have one of these seven steps in place. So they put everything on the table. Once you have something, don't put stuff on the table, on the gambling table, on the roulette table, you know what I'm saying, metaphorically speaking, that you can't afford to lose. It's why I meet people now who have all their entire net worth in one stock. It's all in Amazon. It's all in Tesla. Oh, but Hillary, it's been so good to me. Yes, but you can't afford to lose it. You've got to take the portion you can't afford to lose off the table. Um, and so that's just, that, that's real in that example, but it's metaphorical in other areas of, of your life. Be like a squirrel saving nuts for the winter, you know, put them in the tree and then don't expose them to the light of day. <laughs> So this last couple of years, I've done some of my own uh, mindset work around money. And I was hoping that you could just, I could share my money story with you and you could just meet me and, and, and see if there's any coaching questions that you could offer me. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. I am so happy to put myself on the line for our listeners and just share a little bit and get be on the receiving end of this stuff because um, I'm in it with you. I'm in it to win it with you. So my money story is that money is misery. You know, uh, and when I was a kiddo, my grandfather, who was kind of a hero, he sold his business. I don't know how, how old I was, but I was probably elementary schoolish, you know, 11 or 12, maybe. He sold his business and I never got why that sent him to bed with depression for a long time. It was so weird to me. I thought, this guy sold his business. I didn't even know that was a thing you could do. And I thought he probably made a lot of money. I mean, he sold a well, a, an upstanding local insurance company with his name on it. And, and he went to bed and the story was, Grandpa's depressed because he sold his business. Even though he walked away with a pile of cash. So all I could think of was, wow, he sold his business. How awesome. But no, it was misery. I watched him suffer. Um, in our own household, my family's business ran from a desk in our small house. And it was, uh, um, it was a construction company, a small one. And always, uh, like every single problem in the business 
all the problems, I could hear it all, like at a volume 11 all the time. And I kind of, over time, got that more money was more problems. We'd have a, you know, our family would have a great year, and that was the year something wild would happen, and everything that got built got rained on and destroyed and was put at risk. Or, you know, there would be a lawsuit that came from a general contractor after a long, uh, you know, condo project sat on the, you know, there was, it just, there would, years that were great were torn down often. It was more money, more problems. The more money that came in, the more exposure we had. And the fallout of that was nearly violent in our household. So for me, I've, I have always not cared about money. You know, I could, I could go shopping at Target and walk away from my, from my cart. But I also told myself a story that I'm not going to worry about money. And it's more about, it's, it's not all about the money. It's going to be about experiences. And I'm going to, you know, just make enough. That's fine. Because enough wasn't misery. A lot was a risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you limited your income capacity significantly when you said that. Perfect. Perfect. Um, okay, good. So part of this is really separating the what happened from the story that you told about what happened. One of the super interesting things what I did when I was recovering financially was I went back and I interviewed my mom and I thought we were going to talk about how poor we were. And she actually shared with me that she's like a millionaire. And I was shocked I was shocked. I, I mean, literally like gobsmacked. And what I got was my child mind made up a story about what I saw happen. And that story didn't have bearing on what's so. And so, so interesting that I'm living in this world and like perpetuating this world that was, and suffering about it that was very real to me. And it turns out was just all fantasy, like, like a narrative. And so, um, so, you know, what I heard in the story about your grandfather was he sold his business and he was depressed. And what you said about it was money is misery. Like there's a link between his depression and the selling the business. Is that true? Cap, do you know that that's true? Um, yes, I do know it's true. Okay. But it's not, I, I, I... But it's not because of, I think, I know sort of why, but it was weird to me that the reason, the stories I heard in our, in our, the logic that was explained to me about why he was so miserable was actually not associated to money, you know, the, the price he sold the business to, it was something else. Was but it his was, identity. Yeah, or it was, yeah, it was a, it's a heavy thing. Um, but for me, I was like, yes, but he just sold his, like, but he just had this windfall, like, yes, but yes, but, and, and to me, I just, I couldn't equate the re it just didn't make sense. Yeah. 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 So there's all of that. And then when we come out of childhood, once that story is concrete for us, it's all we can see. It, it has to perpetuate because it is the narrative, right? And so if you look in your life, what are your behaviors in life with money and with your loved ones that reinforce money as misery? I, I can't think of any off the top of my head because I've kind of made money not matter until these last couple of years. Yeah. I've just said, are the decisions good enough and safe? And if they're above safe, they're risky, above safe, not below safe. If they're above safe, like it matters just till it's enough, right. but no more. Right. So you'll find yourself, and those of you listening, this will be powerful for you as well. You'll either find yourself in your own money operating system or you'll find your, yourself being a completely abjectly opposed to it. You won't go there. You won't be that. If your parent was, if your parent was crazy about money and a workaholic, you're going to be a starving surfer artist, right? Like this kind of a thing. And Dia, that's what you're describing is you, it's just because, you know, I would have been shocked if you said you were miserable in your marriage financially because you just are so happy. You're just so ebullient, right? You're so 
your your energy is so positive. So, but it fits. So you, but but it, there's no free. You lack a freedom to get close to the topic of money or pursue it or think critically about it or make tough decisions about it, right? Because that's all in this ball called misery. Yeah, we've made all of the like. Uh, you know, we're, we've made, my husband and I are, are, we've been married for 21 years yeah. and we are, you know, financially healthy. We are building wealth. We make all the decisions. We've got the trust in place and the insurance and we've got, you know, automatic transfer into our 401ks and we got the SEP set up because I'm self-employed. We got all the things, all the mechanics are good, but it's kind of, it's more like a Honda than a Mercedes. Do you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> Because I've been like, oh, a Mercedes goes too fast. We can't that's, drive that's one too of risky. those. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. So then, so then I take the position uh, because I've studied neuroplasticity uh, about how to change your brain is to engage the reality of money at the same time as the mindset of money. So what I would do with you, and what you could do, is to set a goal. Set the goal for the Mercedes. Right. And then start taking the actions that have the Mercedes appear and watch what shows up. And it's in those moments, those forks in the road, that coaching or change or insights or neuroplasticity is possible, right? Because you're, you're going to have massive resistance. Well, and it, it's very interesting because what we started this conversation with around when we start, what's that feel like? And you said, you know, you're you're going to be doing things that your body doesn't want you to do. And I love that you name that that's a little crossroad. So for folks who are listening and like, I'm even dry mouth thinking about it. It's, it's thrilling to think about it for myself. And I have been doing some of the work you're mentioning, Hillary, like separating the actions from the feeling in the body and being like, Oh, there it is. Hmm. Let's take it for a walk instead of, instead of, looking the other way or like instead of making the behaviors that continue to reinforce the status quo, you know? Um, but yeah, noticing that when you bump up against that feeling, it doesn't have to turn into a behavior. Yes. It doesn't have to turn into a behavior or an emotion or a body sensation. And I'm not making your body sensations wrong. Like certainly those happen to me as well. It's just that when you get really observant about money's actual nature, there's a, there's a place for you on the other side of this. And the only way I know how to engage it is to, again, create an environment where the money is happening in a way that you didn't believe it could and have you see that the misery doesn't have to be present where you can look back and say, you know what? There, there was misery and sadness in my family and there were events about money that happened and the two aren't necessarily related at all. Like a different person with a different history and a different life would have sold his insurance agency and done something different. Like, I don't know not, what that would. Yeah. Not gone to bed for two years. Yeah. Like, de like depression is a, a, a deeply seated thing. And you know, like there's all kinds of confluential, is that even a word? A confluence of events and, and, and life experiences that impact us. It's just that children's minds are very simple, very simple. When we talked, to, when we started today, you, you know, I asked the question, what is money? And we, in that part of the discussion, you know, you named that we put a lot of meaning on it that isn't, uh, that, that is from us, not from the inherently the thing. Yeah. Well, any meaning you have on money is, is false. It, meaning, money doesn't have meaning. It, it, like I said, it's literally just a conversation. It's a barter thing. Um, and so, you know, um, but that doesn't help us move past strongly held childhood superstitions. The first step is to admit that it's a, chi a childish superstition. Right? <laughs> um, and I felt like I got conked on the forehead when my mom said, no, I'm not broke. I'm not broke. What do, you, what do you mean? I was a great saver. That's why I'm not broke. What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, that's great. And was that, was that, you said you were gobsmacked by, by that. Was that healing for you in some way? It was like, it took me like a month to even be able to speak it out loud. But it was like, I really had to grapple with, I made that shit up. Yeah. Like from nothing. <laughs> so good. Yeah. 
So listen, <clears throat> thank you for that. And I will take uh, your offer to me and re- and use it and reflect on it in my own life and my own money story and wealth story as I continue to march toward the goals that I've named and claimed and I'm you know, trying to make the decisions and make the asks uh, necessary to um, move me toward them. So Hillary, what, where can people find you and what can they do with you? Uh- Uh, You can find me in your podcast player at Profit Boss Radio. You can find all the things about what I do, which is high net worth, comprehensive wealth management. uh, And I also offer profits coaching for business owners. If your business has at least $50,000 in revenue, we have a year-long transformational program. And that's all at HillaryHendershot.com. Hillary has one L. Hendershot has two T's. Excellent. Hillary, it's been an absolute joy to have you with us today. I know we went over time and there's a reason. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. This podcast is a production of Dia Bondi Communications and is produced and musicified by Arthur Leon Adams III, a.k.a. Baby A. You can like, share, rate, and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Find us at diabondi.com or follow us on Instagram at The Diabondi Show. Want to shoot us a question for the show? Call us at 341 333 2997.